Hello and welcome back to another episode of Teaching My Dad Football, uh, the podcast where we go through mainly just English football, uh, although we have discussed recently about uh, doing some future episodes on Champions League, um, but otherwise, if you haven't been here before, uh, we're just going to talk about the weekend's results, mainly Premier League, however, this weekend was a special weekend because there was a League Cup final that was played at Wembley. So we will be discussing the result of that and what that means for the rest of the season for those two teams. Um, yeah, and maybe as a reminder, obviously, as you say, it is teaching my dad football. Yeah. I am the dad. Yeah, for those of you who are listening, I am the son and I'm here to teach my dad a little, well, some things about football that maybe he doesn't understand, despite the fact that we've been going... Uh, to watch Arsenal now for 15 years. Fair enough. You know, that's what happens. And he's been on the planet for a lot, for a lot longer than I have. <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> Said. <laughs> so let's go back and talk about um, I think we have to start with the final. Football. Oh, should we? Okay. Yeah, we'll start with the final. Um, we both watched the final, although you missed part of the first half, didn't you? I did miss part of it, but yeah. I mean, uh, you did miss some some action. I mean, in typical Chelsea versus Liverpool uh, final fashion, it was nil nil after ninety minutes. Uh, however, we did get a goal. We d- it didn't have to go to penalties, unlike the last two meetings in cup finals between these two, um, with Liverpool coming out the victors one uh, nil. Van Dijk. Uh, I believe it was a 117th minute winner. Yeah, really towards the end. Yeah. Um, which obviously it's the first for first of tr- first trophy for Klopp this season. Uh, I'm ho- he'll be hoping there'll be more. I'm hoping there won't be any more. Actually, they could win the Europa League. I don't really care. They, well, they can win the Europa League FA Cup. I wouldn't really care because we're not in those competitions. Um, but at least in the Premier League, uh, I do not want them to win for obvious reasons. Absolutely. And <laughs> so what do you think of the final? It, because I thought, in many ways, Chelsea, up until extra time, that were the better team. Yeah, the first half was a bit, a bit of a stalemate. Obviously, I know that Chelsea scored, um, which was then ruled offside. Uh, because Nicholas Jackson was slightly offside. Um, but, I mean, Liverpool hit the post in the first half and then obviously there was the there was a Cole Palmer chance that was saved, a uh, great save by Kelleher, who had a great performance in the final in general. You know, it didn't they didn't miss Alisson because Kelleher was that good. Um, but not too many chances in the first half uh, for either side. It was the second half where it, came alive a lot more a lot more for Chelsea especially in that second half where I mean Conor Gallagher had an, Conor Gallagher had a number of chances and should have at least buried one hit the post with one of them which was unlucky but the one where he was through on goal where he has basically the whole goal to aim at and Ke- Kelleher comes rushing out to him you just think is it possible for him if he saw Kelleher rushing, could he have taken it first time or should he have, maybe he could have, if he does take that touch, I think he has to take it around the keeper. But Kelleher did really well there. 
and um, produced another great save. But as you said, when it came to extra time, Liverpool brought a bunch of kids on. And as Gary Neville, to quote Gary Neville, what he called them, the blue billion pound bottle jobs, because they had they had Liverpool on the ropes in that last sort of 20 minutes of, of regulation. And then as soon as it goes to extra time, you're thinking, okay, you've had them under the cosh now, keep on going for it at the start of the first period of extra time. And they shrunk, they completely shrunk. And those kids for Liverpool seem to just sort of give them life. And, um, you know, it was sort of a bat. It just looked like eventually Liverpool were going to make that breakthrough and off a corner, Van Dijk heads in for the second time in the game. Previous one was ruled out, which we'll talk about because there's been some uh, discussions online, should we say, about that goal and why it was ruled out. Um, but Van Dijk towering header, uh, near post and heads it in towards the far post and you know first captained uh, trophy for Van Dyke. obviously Henderson was captained all their previous ones but with Henderson's departure in the summer that's Van Dyke's first trophy he's lifted for Liverpool Football Club So do you think Liverpool win was deserved then or you know or do you think Chelsea fans are right to be a bit upset about the end result i mean i think chelsea fans are right to be upset they 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 should have scored in 90 minutes however with how poor they were in extra time i mean i think pochettino said after the game that he thought that his players were at that point trying to play for penalties but it's just like You've got to recognise... I know that Chelsea are a young team and, and, you know, people will talk about how Liverpool had a lot of kids on the pitch. They did still have quite a number of experienced players on the pitch. Whereas you look at that Chelsea side and basically the most, you know, the most uh, experienced player on the pitch for Chelsea was Ben Chilwell, who, you know, has been in and out of the squad with a lot of injuries. Obviously, he has a Champions League medal, um, but you wouldn't really consider Ben Chilwell to be that experienced of a player but I mean across the rest of the pitch for Chelsea they have I mean obviously Raheem Sterling was playing as well um, but beyond those two players there was a lack of experience and, and, and it's a common theme with Chelsea this season not only a lack of experience but a lack of leadership on that pitch because as good as Sterling is and as experienced as he is he doesn't seem to be a leader on the football pitch Ben Chilwell seems to be a little bit better at it, but again, I don't think he's the most vocal presence. And obviously, they they didn't Thiago Silva didn't play, um, so there's a real lack of experience in that team. But I mean, we've been over that before about how inexperienced their team is and how young it is. But with that being said, you know, with you know, a lot of those young players have also now had quite a bit of play, you know, playing time, and while. Liverpool brought on a bunch of young players themselves. Most of them have barely played, you know. Some of them, it was their debuts for Liverpool, was in a cup final. That's how depleted they were, of in, you know, in terms of injuries, especially with Gravenberg going on in the, going off in the first half um, due to the um, Caicedo. I wouldn't call it... It was really... It looked really bad, but I wouldn't necessarily call it a challenge. I don't think he's actually tried to tackle him. I just think it's a sort of... Unf- you know, an unfortunate sort of he's planted his foot where Gravenberg's also planted his foot and he kind of just 
as Caicedo goes to plant his, he makes that contact with Gravenberg sort of above the sort of where above the ankle slightly, and it looks really bad. But I don't think he's actually trying to challenge him there. Um, so I think the no red card was a good call. Right. And do you want to talk about the um, goal that was? Yeah, the offside goal. The offside. I mean. Jamie Carragher tweeted something. Well, he didn't tweet something. He retweeted something from a Liverpool fan where it was essentially... Um, I'll see if I can find it, actually, uh, just to show you. Well, what is um, But essentially... Is he a the, the thing was is that he's taken a picture of... Uh, I've signed out. Okay, don't worry. Um, but essentially... He's retweeted a picture of a Liverpool fan. In fact, I might be able to find it on my phone. Um, but he's retweeted a picture of a Liverpool fan who has said, well, Arsenal, you know, they use blockers every every uh, set piece they take and they never get called for offside, blah, blah, blah. And he's taken a picture and he's taken the picture that he's shown. Um, let's is, see if I can find it. Is he showing that... He's not offside. Well, no. The issue is, is that they've taken a still. Uh, it doesn't matter if I can't find it. it, but you know, t- tell me what what it is that you here's see. A tweet. So you can see here. So he, this guy has tweeted every set piece. That, oh, I'll read it for the for the listeners and the viewers as well. Every set piece that Arsenal have around the penalty area has three players in offside positions to block defenders running back. Not once has a goal been a disallowed like it was today. Absolute farce. Now he's taken that picture and you can see there's three Arsenal players stood in offside positions. Declan Rice, however, is absolutely nowhere near taking the free kick. And then he's so he's done that. And what he hasn't noticed was that. Um, so what happens in stadium the Liverpool? What happens in the Liverpool case then? Well, in the Liverpool case, Endo is stood in an offside position, and Colwell, uh, trying to get back into the box when the free kick is taken is blocked off by Endo, who, when the free kick was taken, was in an offside position. Colwell blocks... Colwell is blocked by Endo trying to get... trying to go back into positioning because even though he's not marking Van Dijk, Van Dijk has a free header, essentially, because Chilwell's behind him, who was probably actually the player marking him. But Chilwell is marking Van Dijk, but he's actually behind him. And so what ends up happening is that... Van Dijk has all the space to attack the header. Um, the issue is, is that if Endo doesn't, if Endo doesn't block Colwell off there, if Endo's not there, Colwell probably gets back into that space and either makes it a lot harder for Van Dijk to score that, or he's able to just sort of clear it himself. And so, for that reason, Endo has impacted the play from an offside position, and therefore. It looks harsh, and I know a lot of Liverpool fans felt it was harsh on the day. And to be fair, I would I would say that maybe it was a little bit harsh because typically those don't get called. But it is the right decision. He has blocked Colwell off there, and Colwell, 
you know, Colwell has the potential to make an impact on the play because of his proximity and because of where he would have run back into um, and therefore correct decision. However, probably the calling of it on other games isn't consistent enough and you see teams get away with it sometimes. Um, but the instance of that Liverpool fan saying about the Arsenal players being offside and then Jamie Carragher retweeting it was just wrong because actually then when you see another when you see, when you see another frame you see that when Declan Rice takes that free kick all those Arsenal players are now onside so it doesn't matter if they're standing in an offside position before the free kick is taken because actually it's something you see at like Sunday league level attackers will will stand in those offside positions because the defensive line is not going to drop back there because why would they drop back uh and if they choose to drop back, it makes it a lot easier to score from because all of a sudden your keeper can't quite rush out as much um, and you can put it on the keeper a little bit more. But it also... So those West Ham players were keeping their high line so that... And naturally, when the free kick is taken, they move back. But Arsenal players then move back on side as well. Essentially, it makes it a lot harder for those West Ham players to mark those Arsenal players. Okay. They can't mark them before the free kick is taken they have to start marking them when the free kick is taken then and it makes it more difficult to mark and it's something that is done you know you see at sunday league level is done so and it's just an issue of i don't obviously fans are always gonna you know say stupid stuff tweet stupid stuff it's the issue that jamie carragher has retweet has retweeted it and obviously jamie carragher jamie carragher former liverpool player with a massive presence online, it's just like, it's frustrating because he's actually a pretty good analyst, but in that scenario, he's just thrown analysis out the window and he's become, and he's allowed his emotion to take too much of a... Yeah, to take over. And so in essence, there. as you said, you know, it was the right decision. Yeah, correct but, decision. Yeah, correct decision, but, um, you know, people are just going to be concerned that not, this is not always happening. Yeah, it's maybe not always picked up by VAR um, or by, you know, linesmen on the pitch. Um, so the question will be whether it continues to be called as an offside. And if it does, then fair enough. Then I don't think there can be much complaint. Um, but if if it doesn't, then I can understand the frustration um, of those Liverpool fans. Right. So... But in the end, they got... Van Dijk got his goal. They got the win. I don't think they'll particularly care about it in the end. <laughs> Shall we move on to other games? Yes, we should move now on to the Premier League. Um, there are a couple midweek midweek fixtures. Uh, uh, Liverpool beat uh, Luton four one, but we won't talk too much about it, considering we've just talked about them uh, winning their winning their trophy. Um, we will move on to as Arsenal fans. We're going to move on to the Arsenal game. Um, Arsenal 4, Newcastle 1. Excuse me. I was at the game. Uh, you were watching it at home. So maybe you had a slightly different perspective to me on it. Although I don't think many people would have had a different perspective onto it. It was domination. Yeah, and the, all the comments that were made on, um, you know, by everyone was that um, Arsenal was a pleasure to watch. Playing, it was just playing so well, as you said, domination. There was mm-hmm. no, no way that um, Newcastle, Newcastle could um, control. Literally, they and not because they uh, 
it couldn't just because of the way that Arsenal was playing. Yeah, I will say that I do think Newcastle were poor. They they were poor defensively throughout the game, and I mean they just couldn't. They were trying to build up from the back, but our, one of the things about building out from the back at the Emirates is that our press at home is so suffocating for certain teams that playing out from the back, unless you are an elite, elite team at doing it, it's very difficult. And um, they discovered that very early on. Um, I know the first goal came off, a, came off a corner and was actually an own goal by uh, Sven Botman, but you could tell the goal was coming at that point. I mean, they'd barely been in our, in our half and actually in the first half, they didn't, they didn't register a shot. No, not just like not registered a shot on target, not a shot at all. They barely got in our, in our half in the first half. What what do you think the way that they play and the result um, means for Arsenal at this stage? Because obviously, I mean, competition is very tight right now. Yeah, yeah, you have to win every game that you're playing, essentially. Um, and obviously, it was a good bounce back from what happened in midweek again, uh, away at Porto, um, where Arsenal were very poor in that game. So good to see that it was actually just that game was just a blip. And it wasn't, you know, signs for future issues. Um, but, I mean, Arsenal, you know, scoring four goals. Uh, and we've seen Arsenal score lots of goals recently. In fact, in the month of February, they scored 18 goals. Uh, they're also the first team to score two goals in seven consecutive halves of football. Um they scored a lot of goals this month, Arsenal, and it's a good sign that they're they're hitting form at the time where you probably want to be hitting form and, you know, making sure that you're dispatching of teams and not just dispatching of teams by, you know, your ones and your two nils, but they're they're scoring lots of goals now and teams will feel, you know, coming up against Arsenal, they'll feel threatened, especially coming to the Emirates where um you know, most teams would be lucky to walk away with a point um, at this point in time. And this is probably to mention, talking about the goals, that Saka is started playing really well. Yeah, he's again. firing now in terms of his goals. I mean, it's he scored seven in his last five Premier League games. Um, five consecutive league games on the bounce where he scored. Um, so he's the first Arsenal player to do that in nine years since Olivier Giroud. Um and first English player to score in five consecutive games for Arsenal since uh, a certain Ian Wright back in the early 90s. So, you know, that's all good signs and signals for Arsenal. Um, maybe we couldn't... There's not much else, you know, that should be said about about this match. Who who is there anything else that you think is worth? I mean, it was. I was watching some interesting analysis today. Um by a YouTuber called Statman Dave, and he's he was essentially analyzing how Arsenal now are more flexible in terms of our lineups, um, where we can form up, where formation-wise, we have sort of different formations we use for different games, and actually, in the big games, we tend to deploy sort of a 4-2-4, uh, where... Uh, which is actually sort of a popular formation that Deserby used, um, which is it's really good in build up, but it's also quite good at drawing centre backs out because instead of playing two strikers, 
you play two false nines who like to drop deep. So Havertz and Odegaard. So we played in that game against Newcastle with a 4-2-4 where Havertz and Odegaard essentially played as false nines where they both would drop deep at times. And so it gives those Newcastle defenders something to consider where because our wingers are now not quite as wide, they're a little bit more playing like what people would refer to as inside forwards. Um, they stay high up the pitch. And because of their pace in behind, it kind of gives the the centre-backs a decision to make. Do I go with those false nines if they drop deep or do I just stay where I am? If they drop deep, it allows Arsenal to create overloads. If, they, if, if those centre-backs push up, then the entire line has to push up and it gives more space in behind for Martinelli and Saka to exploit. Um, so as a defensive line, you have to make that decision. We either play a high line here and don't follow them into the midfield or we or we drop or we or we keep our defen- um or we keep a defensive line and it means that you know Saka and Martinelli don't have as much space in behind to run that, to run into um but it allows for the overload in midfield so it's interesting to see uh, but Newcastle lacked any sort of intensity in the game their defending was poor i mean especially on the second goal particularly you can tell how poor they were because Jorginho receives the ball and there's no pressure on him. He plays a ball over the top. Martinelli makes a diagonal run going away from goal, gets the ball, takes it to the bar line and then cuts it back for Havertz who just ghosts in into the six yard box and has a tap in and brilliant play by Arsenal. But both of their centre-backs in Botman and Cher were just ball watching and that cutback should just not be at that level of football a cutback in that position should just not be allowed for especially from a team like Newcastle who were so good defensively last year and they've just they've seemed to have just fallen off a cliff this year in terms of defense defensive structure um because I mean they were sort of one of the teams I expected to maybe improve on last year and I know they've had lots of injury issues this year but I mean, just defensively, they've been nowhere near as good this season. And you're just thinking, you know, what is, you know, will Eddie Howe potentially be on the on the chopping block come this summer if they don't make European football again? Right. So, good for Arsenal. Who else do you want to talk about? Because I'm mindful that we said we're going to try and do a yeah, we'll, we'll, shorter. We'll, we'll keep it a little bit shorter. Um, I think we should talk about the United game against Fulham because United are a mess. Uh, Fulham won 2-1 with a very late goal from Alex Awobi. Um, But had Fulham been more clinical, they actually could have walked away with the game. Like They had so many chances, Fulham and United... It looked like one of those games where Fulham didn't take their chances and then, you know, Maguire gets that late header to equalise and you're just thinking, it's one of those games where United is going to get a point from a game where they really don't deserve anything. But that's because the other team just hasn't been clinical enough. And um, But in the end, Fulham broke away brilliant, brilliantly through Adama Traore, who made one of those bombing runs up the wing and found Alex Wobi, who... A very clever finish, reversed it into uh, the near post and Anana was just sort of stood there, not able to react. You know, I must admit, all the commentary that I've heard, that I've read about, you know, they were all saying how 
you know, truly that the better team won and that Fulham yeah. was really, really good. Um, yeah, I mean, structurally, United are just a mess. Like, looking at them, especially this season, it, they, they look at times like they're trying a high press. But then when they try a high press, the defensive line isn't following up. Because essentially, if you're going to do a high press, your defensive line needs to push up to squeeze the pitch. But their forwards are pressing and the midfielders are pressing. But their defensive line is just staying where it is. And in part, it's because they just, their defensive line doesn't have enough pace, probably, to play in a high line. Um, but, I mean, you think, principally, they should just be doing it anyways, because otherwise what it allows for, and what you saw in this game, was that their forward and the midfield line would press for United. Their defensive line wouldn't follow, and there's just a massive gap now in the middle of the pitch for those Fulham players, that if they can evade the press and just sort of chip a little ball into midfield those Fulham players in the midfield have all the space to run into and their forward line their forwards can now run forward and then all of a sudden the United's defensive line has to has to retreat and they can and you just saw them just continually attack and attack and attack exploiting those spaces in the middle because essentially United's midfield wasn't there because they were pressing but their defensive line needs to push up there and it's, it's yeah. really basic stuff and you're just wondering why is that yeah are they is it is it ten hag who isn't relaying those messages well enough or is it because of those defenders who just are afraid of being of playing in a high line because they're afraid of the space in behind and they're not is it because they don't trust ten hag it, it, it's it's a strange strange situation and um because obviously they're not being consistent even in terms of getting the points, but they're still hanging in there, right? Yeah, still, I mean a lot. Of, I mean a lot of United fans are saying like, we do not deserve. I mean, they, based on the statistics as well, they don't deserve to be as high as they are in the table. They're then <laughs> statistically they don't look good, and on the eye test they also don't look good. And I mean, I I said that potentially United could have taken a step back this year naturally because as they try to adopt a new system they a lot of those players for one aren't aren't going to be the right profiles for that system and two it takes time to to learn that system and we saw at arsenal under arteta where first season in what well, first season he comes in halfway through the season and actually came the end of the season one arsenal domestic trophy and had the league season started when he came in, Arsenal would have got Champions League football. They would have had the fourth best record in the league when he came in for the rest of the season. And then the following season, we see we see Arsenal regress and finish eighth. Now they had finished eighth the previous season, so I think that helped Arteta in that in those regards. Um, but in that first half, in that first half of the season, he was in charge. In he was he essentially wasn't particularly big on his principles. He was just sort of managing the squad and tried to get them to be defensively solid, which he managed to do, and that's how Arsenal won a trophy. The following season, he tries to start to implement his his actual tactics, and you see certain players aren't built for it, and then and certain players don't have the profile to match um, and aren't high enough level to play in that system. And Arsenal were poor that year. Um, especially at the start of the season, but they got things sort of sorted out later on in the season. And I said, I, I said at the beginning of the season that I thought United could follow a similar thing, where Ten Hag kind of threw his principles out the window last season, and they end up getting third place, Champions League football, plus they won a trophy. 
but if he were, he was always going to try and go to what he is as a manager, which is similar sort of principles as Pep Guardiola. He sort of, he's from the school of Pep. He was a coach at Bayern alongside Pep. Um, and you saw it at Ajax as well, how he played football. So you would have expected that. But the issue is, is that I'm not even seeing what I saw on, you know, under Arteta in that in his first full season in charge. While the results weren't always there, you could see what he was trying to do. Under Ten Hag, I can't see what he's trying to do. And I don't know if that, uh, at the end of the day, that the blame has to be on him. But those players, especially their, defend, their defensive line, they just have to recognise that if they're pressing, we need to step up here. And one of them just has to take the onus and the responsibility of stepping up, but none of them are. And as a, as a United fan, it must be really frustrating to watch them. On uh, uh, a last remark, there is still a strong possibility that they may get um, <laughs> a I mean, Champions League. Is there a chance? <sighs> I hope not because they're not good enough. Um, there are two teams in that who are fighting for it. That if it if a fifth spot does open up, there are two teams who deserve it more than them based on this season. And I would hope that those two teams get it. Even one of them being a team that I that I don't like in Spurs. But given their given that Spurs have been a lot better than United this season, and so on merit they would deserve it over them. But if that United team somehow manages to get into Champions League football again, I, I don't know, to be honest, because they, they shouldn't be within, they shouldn't have a chance to actually get it. Um, and that's not me sort of hating on them. They're not good. Right. Like, they're, they're legitimately not very good as a football team. Right. Who uh, who else should we talk about quickly? Uh, well, there was a big result on lots of goals in a game between Villa and Forest. Uh, Villa for Forest two. Uh, I don't know if you watched any of the highlights of the game. I watched some of the. You know, I did watch the highlights. Yeah, yeah. So you saw on match of the day. I mean, Villa jumped out to an early lead. Um, they got three goals in the first half. Um, and then Forest got a goal back before half time, and then got another straight after the sec- straight after the second half started. And you're thinking Forest might have a you know a good chance of maybe getting a result here. Um, but eventually Villa get that fourth goal through Leon Bailey and they sort of shut up shop from there. Um, but Forrest did have a couple of chances after it went to 3-2. And, uh, but it was a good game nonetheless, lots of goals. We always enjoy lots of goals. And, um, you know, Villa rack up another win, which they need in their chase for Champions League football. Um, I mean, they're currently sat in fourth place, I believe. Um I think they are, and so the result. Yeah, Spurs didn't play at the weekend. Yeah, so result is not a surprise, as you said. It was a very good game. Forest did yeah, have, good game for the viewer to watch. You know, and it was it was a nice game, and you know, um, as you said, good result for Aston Villa because they, um, you know, they now are still on the run. Yeah, and especially with United's loss at the weekend, and Spurs didn't play at the weekend because they had their game uh, postponed because. Chelsea were playing in the cup final so Villa just sort of helped create a little bit of a little bit more of a gap there between the two teams below them um which you know is always healthy going into the final stretch of the season um and especially because they have European football soon as well because they will have the round of 16 of the conference league coming up soon right 
Um, Who else? Well, there was another 4-2 in the league this week. Uh, well, it wasn't the weekend. It was the Monday night game. Uh, West Ham 4, Brentford 2. Uh, Jared Bowen got a hat-trick. Similarly, in this game, West Ham dropped out. Similarly to Villa, sort of jumped out to an early lead, although only to a 2-0 lead. Um, they went 2-0 up. Both goals through Jared Bowen early on. And um, then not too long after, Brentford did hit back 2-1 through what was a lovely finish by Neil Mopair, player who many Arsenal fans don't particularly like. Although he's slightly better in the books recently because his beef with uh, James Madison at Spurs. So, um, I mean, he's just sort of one of those players who sort of just just there to sort of rattle opponent players on the pitch. But it was a brilliant finish by him. You know, great, um, I think Gary Neville said on commentary, it was great movement by him as a striker and then finished it into the roof of the net. Um, and Brentford, I thought, were unlucky. I thought Brentford were unlucky to not have a penalty, couple penalties this game because especially there was one at 2-1 down in the first half where they're now pressing for that for that goal. And Kudus tries to go shoulder to shoulder. I can't remember which, which, which uh, I think it was Regulon. He tries to go shoulder to shoulder with Regulon, but actually doesn't catch him shoulder to shoulder. He actually ends up putting his shoulder, what looks like, into Regulon's back. And to me, it looks like it should have been a penalty. VAR looked at it and they said, not a clear and obvious error. <sighs> And I know the reason. I think I, I think I know that the reasoning that they'll say why it wasn't a clear and obvious error, and it was because it wasn't. If you watch it back in real time, maybe the referee thought it, it was shoulder to shoulder, and therefore it's not clear and obvious. But it's a penalty, man. He's pushed him in the back. Oh, no, it, it 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 did look. You know, when you're looking at looking at it again, especially in slow mo, where you can actually <laughs> see where the contact is made. He's not sure. It's not shoulder to shoulder. He's from the back, and I think you know all the people commenting on that. They all agreed, you know, that it was. You know, most of them. Agreed yeah, I that. think most of them said like they were lucky to get away with it. That if the ref points for you know what the issue is there is that if the ref points for a penalty, VAR does not overturn it because the ref hasn't pointed for a penalty. It's not deemed enough of an error for VAR to intervene, and so. I, it's confusing to me, to be honest, when they don't when they don't intervene in those scenarios because, to me, it's a foul and Brentford should have had a penalty. And then, I mean, Ivan Tony is very good on penalties, so likely would have gone two two. Um, and you never know at that point if Brentford then keep up the momentum because they didn't find an equaliser in the first half, and then early on in the second half, Jared Bowen completes his hat trick. Um, at three one, it just feels like. All that momentum that Brentford had is kind of gone now, and then actually, not too long after, Emerson puts a beauty of a shot from outside the box uh, into the top right corner, thunderbolt of a left foot, um, brilliant goal. Um, what did you think of it? Well, I think it was you know the the comment that was is one of those goals that you in the years to come you. Quite happily watch yeah, he'll, and he'll. rewatch again. You know, it really is a, is a, is a, was a great, absolutely great goal. Yeah, I mean, Bowen took the match ball away, but no doubt that Emerson had the best best goal of the game, and I'm sure that he'll remember it. But being a defender, he'll remember it for years to come. Um, Brentford did get sort of a goal late back in the game, um, sort of after the 80th minute through uh, Wissa. 
which was another actually very good goal in the game, but wasn't enough in the end. And once West Ham sort of decided to shut up shop, it was not much that Brentford didn't really create much beyond that. Um, and so West Ham get back to winning ways after a long time of not winning. Um, obviously, Lucas Paqueta back in the squad. Uh, and they score some goals as well with him back in the squad. Such a vital player for them. Very good player. But if he's not playing, they really miss him and they struggle. Um, but when he does play, they play a lot better football. Um, okay. We'll move on now. Uh I think we'll move to the Everton game. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, quickly. Not yeah, Everton who drew 1-1 with um, Brighton away from home. Uh, another one, I would think that Everton fans will feel a little bit annoyed at the at the result because they conceded a very, very late equaliser. In fact, Sean Deutsch wasn't particularly happy after the game. He was complaining about how many minutes were added on. Um, but Lewis Dunk got the equaliser in the 94th minute. But And uh, I wasn't particularly happy because I had I have two Everton defenders in my FPL and I was hoping for those uh, clean sheet points. But uh, they weren't to come. They didn't come. Um, but Jared Brentthwaite, put them ahead in the lead uh, with what was a brilliant finish, actually. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, another set-piece goal, actually, for Everton. They're, they're the second-best set-piece team in the league uh, behind Arsenal. Um, I think they've scored over half their goals from set-pieces, actually, Everton. Um, but absolutely rife, you know, set-piece, and it falls to him, and he rifles it into the top corner from sort of the left-hand side of the box. Um and you're thinking at that point, maybe Everton hold on for another win away at Brighton. But Brighton do get their equaliser in the end. And I think 1-1 on the basis of it was probably a relatively fair result. I think Brighton created enough to warrant themselves a point. Maybe they could have even felt like they could have won the game, given the chances that they had. But, I mean, in typical Brighton fashion, they don't, they fail to finish their chances sometimes. Yeah, and I think it's our maybe last comment about this game... Everton is playing well enough, notwithstanding the yeah, and points. obviously big news during the week that uh, their point deduction got um, reduced from ten points to only six points. So they find themselves now a couple spaces higher in the table, a couple more points away from the drop zone. Albeit that there is another potential uh, point deduction upcoming for them, and potentially also Forest. I think that hearing is in. I think maybe a couple of weeks, actually. It's maybe maybe even a week away. So they could find themselves in a position with a, yet another um, point deduction. But that being reduced from 10 to 6, well, it will definitely sort of give those players a little bit more comfort um, until potentially another point deduction, which they'll have to bounce back from. But if Forrester also hit that with that point deduction as well, you'd think that given that if they get hit with the same sort of point deduction that they they might be okay then um, if Forrest then also drop points uh, because Forrest have struggled to pick up points all season. Um, we will talk about... Doo -doo -doo, we'll talk about Palace now who won 3-0 at the weekend um, with their new manager in charge who I have completely forgotten his name. He's German. He used to manage uh, Frankfurt. And I've completely forgotten his name now. Um, 
we call him Mr. K for now, and then you'll remember. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I, I've forgotten his name. Um, pretty sure he managed them to Europa League glory a couple of years ago. Um, but nonetheless, Palace with a three 0 win at home to a team that they should be. Do you think that if you Palace, you'd be saying we need to pick up points here? You know, because they haven't been great this season, Palace, especially in the last couple of months under Roy Hodgson. But three 0 nonetheless um, was a big result for them. Um, Burnley got a man sent off in the first half and from then it's just it always looks like a mountain to climb and um, eventually Palace get the breakthrough and once they get there first they there's no not much way in for not much way back in for it for Burnley who <laughs> did get a goal back late on but it got chalked off anyways so and do you think that the reason why they won is all down to some of the changes that the new manager has made, or yeah. yeah, I mean, it seems like their their squad just seems to be sort of reinvigorated with a little bit of life and maybe a little bit more energy. Um, the crowd seemed up for the game as well with the new manager on the touchline. So we'll see how they progress from here. Um, but yeah, we'll be. I guess you know the next couple of games we'll be able to tell. Yeah, we'll be know, able to properly what, analyze uh, sort of exactly what what it is that the new manager, Mister K, is yeah. is doing is is doing with the team. Um, uh, so oh, you want to know? You know, we can call him Mister K, isn't it? Um, whichever way his uh, name is, yeah. Um, Oliver Glasner. There you go. Yeah. Oh, he's Austrian. I, I'm mistaken. I mean, we'll speak German then. Um, but am I correct in saying that he managed Frankfurt? He did manage Frankfurt. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. So I was correct about that at least. Um, next game. Next game. We'll talk about City now. Um, now, I only saw the first half of it because I then left home for uh, the Emirates. Um, but City not really firing, um, although they did win by a lot of goals yesterday against Luton in the FA Cup where Hurling Haaland scored five goals. Uh, <laughs> so maybe they are firing now, but at least up until that point where they beat Bournemouth 1-0 away from home, Foden with another goal, um, who's been really important for them recently with sort of lots of goals and assists popping up. Um and finally sort of seems to be at least sort of nailing down that, you know, I am a 10 and I need to be played centrally. I am not a winger, Pep Guardiola. Play me centrally and I will produce. And he is producing for them. And there's lots of debates online about Saka or Foden, uh, which we won't discuss uh, today. But, I mean, they're both different players. They play in different positions, so... The comparison and their numbers are very similar this season so I think the comparison is purely on who do you prefer um, and that's and that's that um, but I won't say anything more than that um, but he gets under the goal uh, Haaland again this game I know he'd scored in the sort of some of the previous games as well but he's something obviously I know I saw him midweeks they, you know yesterday score five goals um, but before that he just didn't look quite right and I know Apparently he had, um, I think, a family member. I think maybe it was his grandmother who had passed away. So I'm sure that had been affecting him. 
Um, but he didn't look quite right at that point in time. But City get another win, which is all they need at this point. And I'm sure that they'll hit that gear of form at, um, soon enough. Because actually, if you look at them recently, their recent results, um, they've basically won all their games since they've uh, come back from uh, the Club World Cup. Uh, apart from that draw against Chelsea uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, they've been winning and winning and winning, but they're not they're not doing it quite convincingly yet that you expect from them, sort of around this time where they kick into gear and they start to sort of blow teams away. Um, but I expect that eventually they'll hit it in the league, but they have a very important game in a couple of weeks' time, uh, which I will be very much watching and hoping for a draw in. Uh, well, both of us will be hoping for a draw because it's Liverpool against City in a couple of weeks' time. Um, which, if you're Arsenal, you need both teams to drop points. Um, so that will be interesting to watch. And it's the first time, actually, that sort of inner run-in where City will actually be, be going away from home for one of these fixtures. In both run-ins they've had with Liverpool, they've had the home fixture um, in the run-in. Um, and I know they have the home fixture against us in the run-in, but they've never had to go away to Liverpool in the run-in. So it'll be interesting to see how they manage that. Um, but Liverpool do have a lot of injuries right now, so that could help City in that game. But it'll be interesting to watch and see what happens. Yeah, The um, reality is that I think as we open is that it's very difficult for the away team to win. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm hoping for a draw. Both teams need to drop yeah. points, which would help Arsenal at that point. Um, but otherwise, not too much more to analyse from that game. Bournemouth didn't really create much. City not really firing at that point in time. Um, but I'm sure they'll get there. Uh, Pep will figure things out eventually, and they'll they'll kick into gear. Um, and especially with Haaland now, the other day scoring five goals definitely helps them if he gets back some confidence in his goal scoring, because recently he just sort of maybe been missing more chances than you'd expect him to. Um, in fact, actually Foden's goal came off. I think it was a save by from Haaland and it, re and it was Foden who tapped in the rebound. Um, and finally to wrap up um, was the only Sunday fixture um, because of the final, which was Wolves one Sheffield nil uh, Wolves you know, chugging chugging along now mid-table, getting a lot of results. Um, Pablo Sarabia getting the goal in that game. I remember watching... I didn't watch the entirety of the game, but I did watch the first half, and I've got to say, Sheffield's defending is awful. Even with Chris Wilder coming back in, he, I, I was expecting that maybe they become a little bit more defensively solid, but they've really not. And Pablo Sarabia just has an open header in the middle of the box. Um, it goes 1-0, and actually after the goal, I think there was a bit of a... There was a bit of a scuffle between a couple of the Sheffield players um, who, I mean, they almost got an equaliser late on, but, I mean, Sheffield are dire. I mean, I think everyone's been saying for a while that they expect them to go down, um, which... What do you think they need to avoid that? You know, what, what is that they need to improve? Everything? Miracle. That's what they need. <laughs> they need a miracle. They're not good enough, unfortunately. And that, how, that happens sometimes is that a team comes up they actually sell a couple of their better players, which is what Sheffield did, and they've just been doomed since the beginning, and they were always looking likely to go down, and, you know, they're, they're sat rock bottom, um, although joint points with 
with Burnley, but I mean Sheffield have conceded so many goals this season. If you look at their um Yeah, and they seven uh, points in their defensive record. You know, they uh, they seven points uh below Luton and Luton as yeah, I mean, of, of the three, is the one that's got some. Yeah, Luton are the most likely to stay up out of the three that were promoted. And, uh, I mean, I hope that Luton stay up, but we'll have to wait and see for that. Um, but they could be handed a big boost with obviously the potential um, point deduction, potentially for both Everton and Forest, especially if Forest get that point deduction. I mean, Luton could find themselves above them at that point. Um, but I mean, Sheffield this season have conceded 66 goals. Um, and I think they're on pace to concede almost near 100, which they very well could do. I mean, we've got them on Monday. And with our current scoring form and their current conceding form, uh, they could be in for a rough night. I mean, they've already had a couple of games this season where they've conceded, conceded heavily at home. They've conceded you know, five to Brighton recently at home, five to uh, Villa, and then early on in the season, they conceded ace at home to Newcastle. So... You'd expect that Arsenal would go there and dispatch them as well. Um, but you never know. It's a Premier League. Anything can happen. Um, and with that being said, we'll quickly go to fixtures for next weekend. And we will do our predictions, um, which we did a number of weeks ago. Um, and I meant to sort of look at sort of who predicted the most right, but we don't have time for that today. So we will just quickly do our predictions for this coming weekend. Right. Okay. So. Do you want to start with Brentford, Chelsea? Yep. Brentford versus Chelsea. Chelsea. So what now, are uh, you thinking? Um, but I do like Brentford, and um, they are at home to Chelsea, and Chelsea obviously um, struggled. Brentford uh, have beaten Chelsea away this season already. Um, it's going to be a two-one to Brentford, so there's going to, to be goals, but Brentford wins. Brentford haven't been brilliant recently. I'm going to go for a one-one in that game. I think Chelsea get a point. All right, next up, Everton versus West Ham. Devin uh, Moyes against his former club. I know this is this is a bit difficult. Yeah, Everton uh, haven't been Everton haven't been great at home this season. Um, um, one all. One all. Although they expect more goals, but I'm gonna go for a three-two West Ham win. Away from home. All right, next up, Fulham at home to Brighton. Uh, difficult to guess this one too, uh, but... It's uh, one of those games that could go either way, really. I know, but I think this one is going to be 1-0 uh, to Fulham. 1-0 to Fulham. <sighs> I don't know. It's tough. I'm going to go 2-2. I think another sort of game with quite a few goals in Brighton. Don't like keeping clean, clean sheets and Fulham can be the same sometimes. Uh, next up, Newcastle looking to bounce back after the hammering against Arsenal. Yeah, but uh, okay. They're at home to Wolves. To Wolves, but Wolves is not an easy... Yeah, Wolves can be difficult to play against. They'll sit up 
you know, yeah. quite defensively at times. But I'd expect Newcastle to win this one. Yeah. It's the question of the score. Um, a 3-0. 3-0 to Newcastle. Uh, I think that Newcastle will win as well. Not as close, though. I think it will be 2-1 Newcastle. All right, next up. Forest at home to Liverpool. Here is my wishful thing. (laughs) 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 And so um, it's going to be a draw to all. To all. Okay. I, on the other hand, think Liverpool are in gear now. They've just won a trophy. I think they'll be getting some of their players back for this game as well. I'm going to go Liverpool 3-1 win. Uh, Next up, Spurs at home to Palace. Right. This this is going to be interesting, right? Because Crystal Palace will have had time to new adapt. Bounce. New manager. Spurs, though, started playing well again. Uh, They've had some time off as well. They didn't play at the weekend. Uh, this is going to be... They'll a be well rested. 3-1 th- to Spurs. Yeah. I would agree. I'm just going to go for... A, I'm going to go for Spurs. They're going to win 4-0. As much as I hope they don't, I do think they'll put quite a few past them. Uh, and then 5.30 game on Saturday is Luton against Villa. Right. Luton, her home, they've been brilliant. They've been good in these big games at home against big teams. They've 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 been unlucky to sort of lose some of the games. But I mean, against Arsenal, they gave a tough game. Against City, they gave a tough game. They got a point at home against Liverpool, had it, and would have got a win had it not been for a late equaliser by Luis Diaz in that game. Uh, they only they lost marginally to United two one. Um, you know, gave a tough game against Spurs earlier on in the season as well. So I think they they might be due a win in sort of this game um, against sort of one of these teams it, higher the, up the table. But I mean, obviously, I know they beat Brighton the other week. I think they beat them four nil. Um, there's going to be a two a draw two all two me. all. Okay, I think Luton get a win this game. I think they beat them 2-0. Okay. And then Sunday's games, you've got first Burnley against Bournemouth. Uh, I think Bournemouth is going to win this. Um, uh, 1-0 away to them. 1-0 away for Bournemouth. Uh, I'm going to go for a draw here. I'm going to go for a one all, And then finally... Manchester Derby, well, not finally, penultimately, uh, Manchester Derby, City at home to United. All right, my, my, my wishful thinking here again. <laughs> Somehow, Man U. <laughs> Somehow, Man United are going to sit up in a low block and they're going to make it really difficult for them. Uh, uh, um, I don't know. Uh, I think they're just going to fight. Uh, a draw. A draw because my wish, wishful thinking, but with goals to all. Two all. I mean, I think if City score, they'll win. Uh, see, I could actually see a draw happening in this game, sort of similar to how United got a draw away at, um, at Anfield, where they sat back quite a bit. But in the same time, I also could see City absolutely blowing United out of the water. 4-0 uh, City. City will smash them. Right. And then finally, Monday game, Sheffield at home to the mighty Arsenal. Right. 
this would be a surprise if we don't win by uh, quite a few goals. Yeah, um, given their recent form. Um, 4-1 to Arsenal. 4-1 to Arsenal. <sighs> See, uh, this is the point where you can make a prediction and end up looking like an idiot. Uh, I'm going to go Arsenal 3-0 win. Away from home. Right. Carry on the sort of decent scoring form. So, next time we're going to check... Uh, yeah, before how we how we did uh, how we productions. done, yeah, uh, and we will get back to you guys in terms of how good we are at predicting these scores. Um, although obviously, I know if some of you are watching, you might keep a if depending on when you watch this, you, the results may have already happened by then. Um, but otherwise, for now, uh, we've got nothing left to talk about, so we will be signing off. Thank you for watching or listening, depending whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on a streaming service. If you're if you are listening to us on a streaming service and you want to come over to watch us on YouTube, it's TMD underscore football. Uh, otherwise, we will see you next time. Next time, absolutely. Goodbye. Thank you for watching.